Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, what's up, everyone? And welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you are all having a brilliant day so far. I It is an absolute pleasure and honor to be introducing this week's incredible guest, Mr. Mike O'Krent. So Mike is a fascinating human being, and this conversation was one of my favorites to record um, in quite some time. I I haven't been able to do a lot of in-person interviews just because of COVID and because of, you know, just travel and all that stuff, but I forgot how much I love them. Like, they're just, you know, Zoom, I can always build a great connection with the guests, but there's something about an in-person interview where I can really connect with the energy of another human being and really build off of what they're saying. And it just creates an entirely different listening experience. And I'm just really excited for you guys to get to know Mike and some of the amazing things that ensue here. So just to give you some context on Mike, Mike is an incredible interviewer himself, and he's been extracting and telling other people's life stories for decades. His journey started in 1996 when he spent several years interviewing Holocaust survivors for Steven Spielberg's Survivor of the Show of Visual History Foundation, which is now the USC Show Foundation. And during this life-changing experience, Mike really learned to master the art of listening and really mastering the art of extracting beauty from people who don't feel like they have stories to tell or people who don't feel like their stories matter. And It was just such a beautiful conversation about the power we all have to make someone else feel like they matter by purely listening. And how do you listen better? And today, Mike has a company called Life Stories Alive, where he interviews grandparents and different family members um, using his process that he's uncovered after interviewing all of the Holocaust survivors and just his own intuitive sense and curiosity over the years to create documentaries that essentially memorialize your grandparents or loved ones' life stories. And it's beautiful work. And I was just so inspired by the level of care and the level of healing that can happen within families when we take the time to really understand where our families come from, why they are the way they are. And I I just, one of my favorite parts of having the podcast over the last, you know, three years has been how much I've grown as a listener. It's just not something that we're taught. It's not something that we're taught in school. Like most of the time we're all in our heads just trying to think about what the next thing to say is or how can we get more out of the situation or what's going to be the best foot forward. And we're trying to calculate our way through a conversation. And I just, I was reminded again of how important it is to be present when you are with others. And there are simple things you can pay attention to inside of a conversation that can allow the other person to feel heard and loved and held as they're sharing their life stories, which leads to such a deep, profound connection with yourself, especially when you're interviewing family members. Me and my family have really been opening up a lot over the last year. And 
I see the healing power of honesty and open and vulnerable communication. And I just really loved that Mike was able to share such a deep, powerful, and insightful look into the importance of being a better listener and using conversation to heal yourself and families and how you can actually unlock the power of a story within someone else to inspire greater levels of fulfillment within themselves. So I loved learning from this master storyteller. I know you guys will as well. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify or any of the podcast apps. All that means is that every single time I have an amazing new guest that comes on the show, you guys get to be first in line to listen to the wisdom that that he or she has to offer. And please let me know how this interview resonated with you. Send me a message on Instagram, leave a review for the podcast. All of that goes so far in me being able to create even better content, ask better questions so that I can serve all of you in the deepest ways as I can. So thank you all for being here. And I'm just so excited for you guys to get to know this incredible human being. It is an absolute pleasure to be introducing Mr. Mike O'Krent. Enjoy. Yo, 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 what's up everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you're all having a brilliant start, finish, or middle of your day whenever you're choosing to tune in. I'm excited to have this week's guest in, Mr. Mike O'Krent. Welcome, sir. I'm glad to be here. I'm honored to be here. I'm, I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time now, and I'm really glad that we're getting to do this in person beyond it, actually, because as you know, the amount of interviews you've conducted over the years, there's something really special about the magic of connecting with somebody that you're curiously passionate about learning from. Like there's a, there's a brilliance to just the moment that before we begin, I, I just, I feel so grateful and honored that I get to be here with you. So really thank you for, for allowing this. It's, it's my honor. And what you mentioned, I, I know very, very well because some people have asked me to do a, an interview where we're remote and I almost, and in fact, I always reject that. When you're in the room with somebody, you can not just feel the energy, but surveys over the years have conducted on which are the most important things percentage wise. Is it the words that you use? Is it the tone that you use those words or the body language? And every survey for decades has said that Around 57% of it is body language. The other two are very, very small percentages. So when you're sitting across from somebody doing an interview, you can see their body language. And that makes all the difference in the world on how we communicate, especially how we listen. Oh my gosh, yeah. And I think that's a great segue, one, into the work that you do. Because I'm passionately curious about, because you've made this your life's work. Like It's not just something that you're doing for money now like this is like i can feel the passion so was there a turning point or a specific interview that inspired a lifelong journey to master the craft for yourself i don't know that it was a specific interview but sometimes in life we do things just because we think it'll be a cool thing to do and when i had the opportunity in the early 1990s to get the invitation that said, if you want to learn how to interview Holocaust survivors for Steven Spielberg, survivors of the Shoah Visual History Foundation, I took it. I jumped all over it. Mm. 
I'm from San Antonio, was in San Antonio at the time and flew out to Los Angeles. And they said at your expense to be trained. And I was trained. It's one of those things that just changed my life. So it wasn't a single interview. It was the interviews of the Holocaust. And that was all a volunteer basis. I was trained to do that. And I interviewed a number of Holocaust survivors in central and central Texas and South Texas. And it's one of those things that you never know what's going to happen. But literally, it changed my life. Talk to me about, I guess, when, when somebody who's gone through something like the Holocaust mm-hmm. shows up into a room, what is their energy like as they're getting ready to tell the story that seemingly feels horrifying in a lot of ways to recount? When people think of the Holocaust, they think of the horror. Spielberg's organization, and he, of course, surrounded himself by the best in the world. He got the best historians, the best people who knew how to interview, and he told us, and, and they, they, 20% of the interview had to be before the war, 20% after the war, and the rest during the war. So he wanted to paint the history of people during that time. And with all of those folks that I interviewed, the time before the war was just like we are here in the United States right now. Things are pretty good. You know, there's ups and downs, but life is pretty good. And then all of a sudden this thing happens. And then what happens after the war? So there's life during, but before and after as well. So what was it like? What were their emotions? Kind of all over the place. Yeah. Because another thing that that organization did that I thought was genius is we didn't solicit survivors to be interviewed. They had to volunteer. Mm. So they knew going down that day when they were sitting down with an interviewer like me, that they were ready to tell their story. Now, were they nervous? Hell yeah, they were nervous. We were all nervous about this. But Spielberg's organization taught me how to set up the safe place and how to take them chronologically through their lives, because chronologically we all remember more. But it also, we learned how to make them feel kind of relaxed and more comfortable within about six or seven questions. Mm -hmm. And you could tell that from their body language that they weren't with you at that moment anymore their eyes and their body language, they were there describing the first house they grew up in. Can you describe the, the healing aspects of telling your story? Because I, I, I feel like, you know, a basic fundamental human need is to be seen and heard and, and in some ways to be remembered. It's like a, there's a longing in it as, as, as a species. It's like, what kind of a healing experience is it one in just that scenario, but even from all the interviews you've done over the years, can you describe the the post feeling after an interview is done and what that feeling is like for the person who's being interviewed? I don't know about as much about the post feeling as I do about the end of the interview. And it's a great question that you ask, Raj. I thought about doing a speech or writing a book called The Chill of the Sigh. And at the end of these interviews that I do, including the Holocaust interviews, the, uh, the only question I tell them that I'm going to ask them is the last question, because some people like to prepare for it. And the last question is, do you have any closing comments to leave for future generations? They answer that, and whatever their answer is their answer. Then I say, thank you for sharing your life stories with us. Then I see this. <sighs> and they sigh. And it gives me chills just talking about it. it. I felt chills go up my spine, actually. Because they know that their legacy and their story is now recorded forever. Mm. And for me, it's a rush. Because 
in most all cases, in fact, in every case except for my mom's interview, I'm a stranger. And I was a stranger to them just a few weeks before that. And as a stranger walking into that situation, they're sharing with me and they're opening their heart and their stories. And many of those stories they've never told anybody else before ever. That's a rush. That's a great feeling on, on selfishly on my part. But for them, it's, I don't know if we call it a relief, yeah. but it's just that sigh. That sigh is healing. And one of the things I admire most about the work you do with life stories is how that element of healing comes to the family level, right? Like, cause I mean, how many parents and kids have crappy relationships or how many torn families are there for whatever reason? It could be any good reason or bad, or even things that happened before they were born. I mean, there's, there's so much there. And I feel when there's a safe space for stories to be told and there's a safe space for listening, active listening, there's profound healing. How do you be a better listener? Mm. I guess in a lot of ways, like, I guess, you know, because I'm thinking practically for everyone listening, right? Like they may not have the, the, the skill sets or the, the knowledge yet to go out there and really heal through storytelling. But I feel like listening is the first step. So how do you teach someone to be a better listener? What are some, some qualities of a, of a great listener? It is the first step. In fact, it's a chapter in my book. I wrote a book and published in 2017 called A Conversation You'll Never Forget, A Guide to Capturing a Life Story. Mm. And one chapter is about listening because it is the most important, I think, thing or skill that I can have when doing these interviews. How do you teach it? Unfortunately, it's never taught. You know, some schools might teach speaking, but they don't teach listening. So I have some major points, and it's I, to summarize it in three steps. Step number one is, is shut up, <laughs> <laughs> quit talking. The way I explain it is we learn listening just by watching, right? We watch our parents, we watch other people. Most people think it's a ping pong match. It's my turn, then your turn, then my turn, then your turn, then my turn, then your turn. And if it's their turn and you're supposed to be listening to it, you know your turn is next. So you're thinking about what you're going to say next. Mm -hmm. And if you're thinking about what you're going to say next, you're not listening. So there's one tool that I've learned that I love teaching because it's such an effective tool. And at first it might seem awkward for people to use, but it's a great tool that I try to adapt every time I have communication with somebody. And it's the following, and this is worth writing down. The next thing you say has to include at least one word from the last sentence that they say. The next thing you say has to include at least one word from the last sentence that they say. So what this will cause you to do, number one, is to pause a little bit longer than you're used to pausing because you don't know if it's the last sentence that they say. The next thing that it'll do is you will obviously listen because you have to use the one word from the last sentence. And I've already done it a few times with you with the questions that you've asked, Raj, and you just don't know it because it comes natural to me now. But what will happen is when I was younger, I never was a good listener, quite frankly. <laughs> and after I learned these skills, you'll find and your listeners will find after they learn listening skills, and especially that one. People are going to start saying something like, you know what? You're a good listener. Mm. 
In fact, I say this jokingly, some conversations I have with my wife, I love my wife. I might not say a thing and I just listen. And afterwards she'll say, you know, this is a great conversation. That we've had. <laughs> I thought, Thank you. <laughs> I didn't say a damn thing. You know, it's a great conversation though. But that's what the power of listening can do. Yeah. As you're describing that, I'm really reminded of the of the importance of being present. And when you're when you're practicing a skill set like that, which is really paying attention to at least one word that they said in the previous sentence, you're forced to be present and you're trusting that presence is the thing that matters most. Because I've found that at least for me, like my desire to go into the future and think about what I need to say is just me being afraid of saying the wrong thing. Or it's like me calculating what the best thing to say is to get to the best outcome, which is all very me, me, me focused. But when you release that, that's what then allows the true healing power of listening to exist, which is you're putting all of your presence and energy and focus on allowing the other person to feel heard. And I think that's what's so brilliant about the way you're describing that. There's a, like, it's a feeling that you're inspiring, whether it's in your wife or any of your list or any of your interviewees, like there's a that feeling of either relief, that feeling of being heard. Like these are all qualities and gifts that I think we get to give everyone in our lives. And I love how accessible you just made that. That was brilliant. Thank you. It, it is indeed a gift. And it's a gift because people don't expect to be listened to, quite frankly. Mm. They expect to have conversation like they usually have. And I don't know if you've ever been to a, a, a networking event or some kind of an event where yeah. you start a conversation with somebody and you know immediately, this person doesn't care what I'm saying. This person isn't listening to me. Most people don't listen. So to get to that emotion, to get to that connection that I think we all crave, crave and thrive for, you have to be a good listener. Why do you think people, maybe not afraid, I don't know, like, I don't know why, why aren't people more inspired to be better listeners? They've just never been taught. And I think they also have never really felt how cool it is to be a good listener. And by cool, I mean, not just when people say that, you know, you're a good listener, but when you shut up long yeah. enough to really hear somebody, you'll know to ask the clarifying questions. You'll really get to know the essence of an individual. When instead of when they're saying something, if you think your turn is next, instead of clarifying what they're saying, many of the questions in, in preparing for an interview for a life story, I do loads of preparation and I prepare questions. And I have index cards and I have my thumb on the next question. A lot of times the next question isn't what my thumb is on. The next question will be the clarifying question to uh, like, how do you mean? Which isn't proper grammar, but who cares? How do you mean? Meaning clarify, what, what do you mean by emotion? What do you mean by the heart of whatever you just said? It's just cool. And it's some people think that might sound manipulative. It's not manipulative. Another chapter in my book is sincere interest and genuine curiosity. If you go into every conversation or every interview or whatever you're doing with sincere interest and genuine curiosity, you really want to know what is the root of what they're saying? Yeah. What do they really mean by mm -hmm. that? And when you get to that, 
they will appreciate, the person you're communicating with will greatly appreciate the fact that you care. And it's so simple. Yeah. But it's not easy. Right. It's, it's, it's very so well put. simple, but it's not easy. And I've, because it's, and I've, I think I'm like at 180 something episodes of Stay Grounded awesome. now. So I've done one every single week for the last almost three and a half years. I like routinely go back and listen to some of my first episodes and I can distinctly hear myself talking at my guests. I can hear my, I'm trying my best to be curious right. and patient, but it took a long time to get to a space where it started being more natural to just be here and trust and trust in the magic of the moment. You bring up a really good point about it. It, it. it won't seem natural for your listeners to try to be better listeners and do these these tools. But like you said, it, it, you go back and you see the early ones. I go back and I see the early interviews, especially the Holocaust interviews that I did. And I, pardon my, I, I sucked. I, mean, I was not really good. But as you improve on your, and your whole podcast about it is about people improving their lives and and as you improve on this, it'll be better for you and better for the people around you. Well, I think that's the, you know, what we're really missing in today's society is people who are willing to listen. Yeah. Right? Like if we just all took a moment to be willing to hear the other side or to be willing to sit inside of the uncomfortable conversation without reacting or without needing to fix or without needing to change, there could just be, there's just so much healing on the other side of that. Mm -hmm. And I'm inspired particularly around family healing. Like I, I feel, you know, some of the most profound shifts that have happened in my life. You know, we were talking earlier around this year being a particularly difficult year for my family around, you know, just the deaths in the family. And I know a lot of listeners have gone through different deaths with COVID and it's been a challenging year around. And I'm, I'm finding that in those moments, being able to really hold the space and do my best to understand why someone is the way they are mm. or do my best to try and put myself in someone's shoes and say, oh, wow, like what did they have to go through in their lives in order for them to be this way now? And like, and that's the beauty of wanting to know someone's story, right? Like I remember when my dad, me and my dad have gone so close now, like we're best friends now, but at one point, like we weren't, we, we didn't get along that well. And I remember over the years, the thing that really brought us closer together was him opening up about his life story. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he started out just you know, writing a little newsletter to me and my mom and my brother about the way he grew up in India at this really? little village. You know, my dad grew up in extreme poverty and kind of worked his way up. And, and the more I learned and the more I actively just was present inside of him expressing his story, the more our family healed the closer me and my brother got because we were able to see where we came from. Mm -hmm. We were able to really see our journeys. My mom and dad got closer because she was able to understand why he was the way he was. And I think there's just really beautiful, there's, there's so many intangible benefits to being an active listener, especially with your family. How do you inspire that? I guess in, in people that may not have families that get along very well. I mean, cause it's so important and if you don't get along with somebody, it's really hard to inspire that level of conversation. It's like, how do you, I guess, inspire others to, to take the time if they don't have great family dynamics to actually go in and still want to hear a life story or to create a life story? 
I have an older brother that I love very much. I have two brothers, both of them I care for. My older brother's a clinical psychologist. And people ask me when I do these life stories, are you a psychologist? And I said, no. A psychologist has to fix stuff. I don't have to fix you. I just have to listen to you. And in the process of listening, I'm, I'm reminded of another. I was part of a business group when I started this business 15 or so years ago. And after doing the business for a year, I stood up at this lunch meeting and said, I've got good news for every one of you. There are probably 35 people in the room. If you think your family's the only dysfunctional one around, I got news. <laughs> they all are. So to answer your question regarding healing and the dysfunction that happens in families, just telling the story and talking about it without trying to fix it, just talking about it is I think part of the healing process and can be healing. And sometimes those things are never fixed. Yeah. You just never will fix it. But talking with somebody like a stranger who has sincere interest in genuine curiosity, you start to heal yourself because they're going to ask you questions you've never asked yourself about that. And it's not that there's right and wrong and you're wrong and he's right. And, you know, you're being an idiot and he's a schmuck. Or, you know, it's, it's not all about that. It's just about telling the story. And it, you reminded me of one thing. There was a book, I think it, the book was written in 2010. The movie came out in 2011 called Sarah's Key. It's a wonderful movie that didn't get a whole lot of press, but it's a great movie. It's a Holocaust-related movie, but it's a great movie. The last line in this movie, I'll never forget. I memorize it, I'll never forget, because it says, I think it's the essence of what you're getting at with your question. And the last line in the movie is this. When the story is told... It's, and this is a, 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 you hear the voiceover saying this with the scene that you're watching on the thing. When a story is told, it's not forgotten. It becomes something else. The memory of who we were and the hope of what we can become. Mm. So when people tell their story, they're not only bringing out the memory of who they were, but they're also bringing out the hope of what, they can become and what you as a family member can become. Yeah. When you had that conversation with your dad, he started telling the story and you felt connected because that's part of who you are. And through his growth and coming out of poverty and good from, from next to nothing and building who the man who he is today, that's got to give you hope, I would think. Man, you're, you're, you're reminding me of... I had a mentor share this perspective with me and it kind of changed. It really inspired me. And it was the idea that your ancestors and the, and the people that come before you, I used to think that they were just, you know, like I'm a very spiritual human being. And so like, I, I feel very connected to, you know, whether it's you want to call it God, the universe, like some higher source of intuition and power. And one of the things I've realized is that your ancestors are in your blood Right. So the same DNA, the same cells that made them are in you and those cells carry information and data. And so when you learn about where you come from, when you take the time to really be with the story and the truth or different truths, and then you can feel it. Like when you hear something that feels like a truth, it resonates up your body. Like I've had three or four chills in this conversation from something that you'll say that'll just be like, wow, that is profound because it's rooted in something so much deeper mm -hmm. than a construct of the mind. It's, 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 it's resonating at a cellular level. And I think that cellular level connection is what allows us to remember that we're all part of this big giant human family. 
It allows, it's stuff that inspires the compassion. It's what inspires the, the inspired action to help and give and create. And if we all realize that we're more connected than we are different. Yeah. That can make all the difference in the world. Oh my gosh. I think you're spot on. Mm. So I watched your TEDx mm-hmm. and, and, and you, and you spoke about um, one, your your grandfather, and then your father passing away very in a very close amount of time. How did that inf- inspire the interview you had with your mother? Knowing that your 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 grandfather and your father passed, like, did that change the energy with which that you brought into? Like, can you describe that experience? I've heard from my clients, or usually the children of the people that I interview, that I felt connected to them like I've never felt before. Right. And I, I said, well, thank you. I mean, I, I, I thought I got that. I didn't get that until I did my own interview with my own mother. I've never been more nervous of one, but <laughs> I've, I've never felt more gratified after it was done. Mm. Not just because I asked questions that I've never asked her before, but that connection was powerful. And the fact that my dad and my grandfather died when their stories were buried with them, yeah, that had a lot to do with how I felt and the energy that happened when I interviewed my own mom. Because at that time, and the TED Talk reflects this, I had just had my first grandchild. My granddaughter, Lily, was born about a, was about a year before that interview. No, she was just a few months old when I interviewed mom. I knew that Lily will one day be connected with my mom in a way that would never happen had I not been doing that. (sighs) And now I have a grandson now, Jackson. Uh, He's a cutie. He's about one and a half. Actually, he'll be two in in July in just a couple of months. And um, Jackson never met her. Jackson never knew my mom, his great-grandma. One day when he's ready, I have the was on a DVD. Now it's up in the cloud and he'll be able to sit and watch four hours of his great grandma share who she is, her smile, her laugh, her cry, her tears, her, her love that she had for her family. Yeah, it's cool. It's, that's a long answer to a short question. <laughs> but anyway, um, what about people who don't feel like they have a story to tell? Ah, good question. And that's the best question. You know why it's the best question? Because most people don't. Yeah. Uh, I think 2017, I wrote an article that I'd be happy to share with your readers called Being Humble is Nothing to Brag About. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I like that. And it's the story of a grandfather who thought his stories weren't important and never recorded them, never wrote them down, never shared them with his family. And he died. His grandson found his stories. He was a lieutenant colonel in Patton's army, knew Patton. After his funeral... The grandson was at his dad, his grandpa's home, and being a teenager, was kind of bored with everything that was going on after a funeral, right? So he went into his grandpa's closet and saw an army trunk, you know, one of those big green army trunks, what they called? Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what they call them, trunks, right? Dust all over it. Pried it open. In it was a diary that no one ever knew about, was a Nazi flag, was Original photographs of the liberation of Dachau, a Buchenwald. Yeah, anyway. Um, anyway, but he was so humble, 
he didn't talk about it. Mm. So how do you convince or how do you talk to somebody who thinks that their stories aren't important? It's a tough one. That's a tough question. I have two suggestions. You ask that person, did you know either of your grandparents? Yeah, I, I kind of knew two of my four grandparents, actually three. Are any of them not with us anymore? Yeah, some of them are not with us. Imagine going to your computer or your now your smartphone and just listening to them, hearing their voice. What would that mean to you? Hearing their stories, what would that mean to you? Yeah. Now, I can promise you that they thought their stories weren't important either. Yeah. Because they were good people. They were humble people. But if your story isn't told, it's going to die with you. Do you want that for your grandchildren and great-grandchildren? Of course, that's the guilt trip. Yeah, I was going <laughs> right? to say, I was like, you're really twisting a knife behind right. them on that one. <laughs> but is it the truth? It's a, it's a me- well, the truth doesn't always feel good to hear. Of course it doesn't. Like the truth, I've learned that over the last year in particular. The right. truth is the kindest thing one can do. Mm-hmm. Telling the truth is always the kindest and it's not always the easiest to experience. Right. Um, but if it inspires a level of action or courage or inspired change, there's beauty in that too. <coughs> so true. And another approach might be just a simple approach of we're not talking about your whole life, mom or dad. We're just talking about, I just want you to, I want to hear that story that I love so much again. And you turn on your smartphone. Every smartphone has a voice memos function or whatever they call it. You just turn that on. It records really good audio. And they just start sharing that story. And then you listen while you're hearing that. And you ask the clarifying questions that you've never asked before. While they're telling that story that you've heard ad nauseum. (laughs) Over and over again. Start asking those clarifying questions. Then they'll feel comfortable. They will be back during the time that they're talking about their story in their minds, in their heads. And they'll, believe it or not, they just might start continuing through their lives and what happened after that and what happened after that. Because that creates the safe place. That creates the place where they just continue to share their stories. And there's one thing that the most humble person will tell you. They'll tell you that uh, my story is not important. But once they start sharing their story, knowing that it'll benefit others, they won't stop. <laughs> That's the beautiful part, I think, of human beings. Like, as disconnected as we are, I think at our core, we are beings of love. Like, you know, you don't see a baby come onto this earth pure evil. Like, you know, they're born into an environment or born into circumstances that create certain beliefs or fears or protective mechanisms that then may go and hurt people. But a baby as itself is pure love. And I, I love that what you just said around the when when you get them into that space and they remember that this is going to help somebody, they get inspired. That's a level of courage that I think everyone gets to experience in their lives like that, that feeling that their lives matter. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm smiling now because I've had the honor in the 15 years that I've done this, that I've interviewed six people that are 100 years old and older. Oh, wow. And in every one of those cases, their children or grandchildren, whoever hired me to do this will tell me there is no way that they're going to last all day with you. There's no way because she gets tired, she has to take a nap, she has to whatever, ever. In every single one of those six cases, and I've interviewed from, of course, 100 to 105, 
In every one of those cases, they outlasted me. I'm exhausted by the end of the day and they want to keep going. Why? Because of the energy that happens when somebody tells their story. The energy that it, 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 it lights them up. It gets them jazzed. And this is, and I've heard some of the funniest stories and some of the most tragic stories you've ever heard in your life. Well, I'm thinking of one lady, who, the oldest one I've ever interviewed, she was two months short of her 105th birthday. So she wasn't quite 105. I've always heard that if you drink Coca-Cola, it's not a good thing for you, right? Her father worked for the Coca-Cola Bottling Company of San Antonio. Her husband worked for the Coca-Cola Bottling Company of San Antonio. She drank a Coke every day since she was a little kid. She was 105. Every day, she's 105. Oh. So how am I, who am I to tell her, that's going to kill you, lady, right? <laughs> Plus, one other thing that I think your listeners might find comical, but it's absolutely true. You know, when you're 100 years old, one of the questions is obviously going to be, what's the secret to a long, healthy life? Right. Right? Every one of their answers, every one of their answers involved alcohol. You know, I read a, a study, actually, if they, they went and studied a lot of the blue zones, which is the areas of the planet where people yeah. live the longest. Mm-hmm. And one of the common factors besides human connection and, and, and people was actually alcohol. Of course. Like wine. It's uh, it, absolutely. And, and that goes to an, a deeper conversation around the role that stress plays in our lives and, and, uh, and how detrimental stress is to the body. And if a glass of wine helps you feel less stressed about life, it's better than being stressed to your, to your, to your head. And neither one of those people, it, obviously, it wasn't in excess. Right. One 95, in fact, a 95-year-old, a younger guy, a young guy at 95, drove from Arkansas to Austin so he could be with his family to do this interview. He says every day, every evening at about 5 o'clock, he has a shot of whiskey. This lady who was just short of her 105th birthday, her story was amazing, grew up Catholic, Hispanic Catholic in San Antonio, Texas. She said, years ago, we had a party at our house. I was still in my 20s. Newly married, we had a party at our house. And the next morning we woke up late because it was a long, late night party. And I'm cleaning up the stuff and I see this little jigger of wine. I thought, you know what, I really didn't drink much before. So I had a jigger of wine right during breakfast. She goes, I felt great for the rest of the day. Every day, she said, every day since then, I've had a jigger of wine at breakfast. <laughs> so, Whatever. Hell of a know, whatever club. works. Hell of a breakfast club. <laughs> yeah, why not? I feel like I can go in so many directions right now. But I've got a question that just came up for me. So one of my least favorite questions is what do you do? Like when we're in like a like in a networking place and it's just like, what do you do? It's like the first thing that comes up. And I'm curious to hear your take around networking that that connects you deeper. What are better questions that people can ask people that they've never met or are just getting to know? I can't stand that question either. And sometimes I answer that and I tell them, I'll answer that. But first, why do you ask? Ah, Because sometimes, depending on their body language, they're asking you, what do you do? Because they want to know if you have enough money to afford what they're selling you, right? (laughs) Sometimes that's it. Sometimes it's other things. A friend of mine here in Austin named Patty DiNucci wrote a book, and I'm looking at my bookshelf right now, and it's called The Intentional Networker. 
And it's a great book because it answers your question better than I can answer the question. What do you say? What do you ask people? One question that I ask at networking events instead of what do you do? Because to me, it really doesn't matter what they do for a living, how they make their money. They I, don't, I don't care. Is um, It's kind of an icebreaker. What, what brought you here? Mm. You know, this is, you look around and say, why are you here today? I don't know why I'm here, but why are you here? And you really mean it. You really want to know why they're here. That's one way of answering that. But. Actually, you're just reminding me, one of the most powerful questions I've ever asked is why. I think that's the simplest, most powerful question. And the more you ask why, the deeper the rabbit hole goes. Do you know why it's so powerful? Why? <laughs> <laughs> I set you up for that one, right? <laughs> It's powerful because it's an open-ended question. It's the most open-ended question. And the difference between a closed-ended question is a question that you ask and the answer is yes or no. That's closed-ended. Open-ended means there has to be more than yes or no to answer it. But why always opens, usually should open people's mind to giving a better answer. If you want to be more specific, because if you just open up with an entire why, that's good. And people will answer that. But you really want to let them know that you're a good listener. Ask why or what do you mean by this? Or why do you say this particular word? Or, you know, clarify the why might be a little bit better. And that's a good thing to do at, at, at networking events. Why is this work so important to you? Oh, wow. The chill of the sigh. When I realized, and I think it may have been the first or the second Holocaust interview that I ever did, when I realized that here I am, a stranger, and I'm the catalyst to a story being brought out that may have been buried with them, that gives me chills, and that, that's why I do this. It's hard to describe the feeling. Try. <laughs> You're tough. You know, and one of my favorite movies is Forrest Gump. And when his mama's dying, she says, it was my destiny to be your mama. And he says, mama, what is my destiny? And I think my destiny, this fulfills my destiny. Who, who the hell knows what our destinies are? But if I was put on this earth to help people share their story and to connect generations, past and future... That's a pretty good gig. Mm -hmm. Did you know in that first interview, the one that I think you said, uh, did you know that those interviews would lead to a lifetime? No, no, absolutely not. Even the first few interviews, I thought it was cool. And I really got to know that at that time I was in the retail carpet business. I was in a family business. My brother still runs the business. My son is the fifth generation in the retail carpet business in San Antonio. Fifth generation. I was in that business. I moved to Austin in 98 when I bought a business here, a carpet business. And so I had no idea that I would be doing this. I made a career pivot after 25 years in the carpet business and just left that. And went to something else for about a year, but then discovered I had a business coach help me connect to how much I loved interviewing Holocaust survivors. And then he said, can you make a business out of doing something like that? And I thought, duh. Well, yeah, I guess I have a process that I learned. I could bootstrap it from my house. I could hire good videographers and editors. What the hell? Why not? 
And I did. And at first, it's always tough. Any entrepreneur, as you know, any entrepreneurial journey, journey didn't start with, you know, bells and whistles and, and everything's rosy. But if the why that you mentioned is there, if you remember the chill that you got from interviewing those Holocaust survivors, and now you can bring it to regular moms, dads, grandmas, and grandpas, oh my God. So that's what drove me through the tough times. And that's why 15 plus years, I'm still here. You know, you're reminding me of the importance of remembering the origin of intent. The moments where I feel very lost and confused and angry, the thing that always brings me back to gratitude or the clarity I need to make a choice is remembering why I got started in the first place. It's remembering those sparks, those sparks of inspiration that led me down the path of changing my life or wanting to be healthy or choosing love or, and I've always felt like that when you ask that, why, like, why did I get started? Why did I choose this life? Because whether we're intentionally choosing or not, we are choosing. And, and when we can pull ourselves back into that space of remembrance of our own conscious power to be inspired by the light inside of ourselves, it makes all the dust just settle and everything's clear. There's no noise. People ask me from time to time, do you have favorite stories that you've heard, favorite life stories, favorite people that you've interviewed? And of course, my mom is my all-time favorite, but there are, when things are tough, there are a, a, a couple of them that I always go back to, and I'm reminded why I do this, why I do what I do. And uh, I have a clip of one on my website that uh, it just still gives me chills. But one of them is a guy in Houston, and I love the family. The, uh, uh, there's uh, psychological assessments, you know, Myers-Briggs and yeah. things like that. Mm-hmm. You ever heard of the Berkman method? No. Berkman is one of them that's been around since the 1950s. Okay. I interviewed Roger Berkman, the founder of that. And this guy was a psychologist, a wonderful, beautiful man. He has since passed. And at the end of the interview, he looked me in the eye. He was such a great communicator. He looked me in the eye and he says, well, Mike, thank you for doing this. You are really good at what you do. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow. And his daughter to this day, from time to time, for, for you know, uh, after a few months, we'll communicate with Sharon. And she says she'll never forget how grateful she is for me interviewing her daddy. And each one of your listeners can feel that feeling of gratitude. And it doesn't have to be, like I said before, it doesn't have to be a few questions. I mean, a, a whole life story. It could just be capturing something on your smartphone. What are some questions that people can ask that can allow them to feel this connection without needing to go too deep into a life story process? Wow. I, I, in fact, I'll share this with, if you remind me, because I'll forget, <laughs> if you share with me, it, 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 I will send you, I have 15 of my favorite questions to ask during a life story. Mm. Oh, that's great. So I'll, I'll yeah, send those to your listeners. That. Great. Here's one question that most people never ask. If I ask of parents, if I'm interviewing somebody who is a parent, who has had a child, describe how it felt to hold your firstborn in your arms for the first time. That's a favorite. And I'm smiling with this one because it's always a good one. When in this culture, it's during the teenage, when you're walking them through their lives chronologically, it's, it, here's a question. 
It's usually during the teenage years that boys and girls start dating. Who was your first date and what attracted you to that person? And it's, it's a simple, sweet question, but sometimes you get really funny answers because their minds are back when they were teenagers and their hormones were racing. And, you know, that usually brings back some good things. And when you ask questions about the tough times, uh, when you're talking about the death of a parent or the death of a close relative, and I've never shared this with other people, so your listeners are going to get this for the first time. If she could hear your voice right now, what would you say to her? A deceased loved one. If they could hear your voice right now, what would you say to her? And then whatever they say, you can either leave it at that or ask a clarifying question. Why? Why? That's like you say, that's the best question. Why do you say that? And that's, that can be so, so powerful. Mike, how do you, how do you come up with the questions you ask? The process that I use, I have, uh, I meet with them at least a week before the interview itself and I have a 41 page document where I get facts about their lives. So I ask questions about many of the facts, the, the factual questions. The clarifying questions, as I mentioned earlier in this interview, will come from what they're saying. A lot of it is that, like, I think the way you're handling this interview and you handle all your interviews, a lot of it is just a feeling. Mm -hmm. Something will pop in your mind where you're thinking, well, what about this? Or a lot of it just comes to my mind. In the book that I wrote, it's called A Conversation You'll Never, Never Forget because I don't want it to be an interview. I want it to be a conversation, yeah. just like this is. Because people will feel comfortable having conversations. People are always uncomfortable in an interview. <laughs> mm, great point. So, yeah, if your listeners want to get the stories or the life stories of someone they love, ask them just to have a conversation about their life. Not, I want to interview you. Well, I don't want to be interviewed. No one wants to be interviewed. Some people think that, I don't know if you're, you're too young, but in 60, when 60 Minutes, this um, program, 60 Minutes, first came out, Mike Wallace was an investigative reporter. He was a tough interviewer. He was very well known because he got the story, but he was an investigative reporter. And people think that I'm going to be Mike Wallace shoving a microphone in their face and say, well, what about this? And why did you do this? And that's, that's not the intent. The first chapter in my book is Start With Why like Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why. So if the why that you're doing this is to connect generations, you're not approaching it as an investigative reporter. Yeah. You're approaching it as somebody who loves this person who wants to connect the generations. I think that's a beautiful reframe for how you can approach a conversation with somebody. Mm -hmm. Like you're doing this out of service for something greater, to remember, to connect and it comes back to the intent, right? Like, I mean, even before this conversation started, we set an intention before the conversation that it was going to be in the highest and best service of whoever's listening and the highest and best good for us. And I think when we can set intentions before we enter a sacred space, like an intimate, vulnerable conversation, there's something about that that just creates the container, that allows the, the flow of communication to be something that heals, expands, inspires, and allows those, those thoughtful questions to ensue. Like, I've realized this. I mean, I've actually, the reason I ask the question about how do you come up with your questions is because I've always tried to explain to other people how I come up with my questions. 
And I can't because it's so in the moment. It's so, and I don't want to, maybe it is natural, but like, there's like a, it's a feeling like, it's like, I get, you say something and then I get inspired and then I like, I can logically feel where we need to go, but it doesn't, or not logically, I can intuitively feel where we need to go. So it feels guided without me really guiding it. Does that make sense? Sure. A lot of times when you are asked the question, you answer the question with a question. Somebody says, well, how do you come up with the questions that you do during your podcasts? You might answer that by asking them, how do you come up with the questions that you ask during a regular conversation? I don't come up with questions. I just ask. Well, the best in the business, the best interviewer that I've ever heard, and she's on every week, is Terry Gross, National Public Radio's Fresh Air. There's a book that she wrote that I have on my bookshelf, and I think the title is All I Did Was Ask. Hmm. She is the best of the best. And there's a story about that. There was a networking event here years ago. John Burnett is a wonderful NPR reporter. He lives here in Austin. He was given a speech after he came out with a book that he wrote. And I asked him at the end, at the beginning of his speech, he says, don't, I don't want it. I'll give time at the end for questions. I don't want anybody asking me about Terry Gross. Okay. So at the end, of course, I raised my hand. I said, I want to ask you about Terry Gross. <laughs> Pissed him off, but you know, whatever. Anyway, I said, why is she so good? What makes her the best of the best interviewers? And he smiled and he says, okay, I'll answer that. He says, if you go to her apartment on her bed, across covering her room is the homework that she's doing for the next interview that she has. She does her homework. She researches. So when she's having that conversation with somebody, she knows as much as she can. But, but every one of her interviews I love because it seems conversational. Mm. And uh, that's why I think she's the best. I admire her. You know, you had a mentor that unfortunately passed. Jerry, right? I've never met Terry Gross. I'd love to meet her one day. But I'm a weirdo because when I hear her interviews, I listen to her more than I listen to the person, the famous person that she's interviewing because I love her style and how she listens. And it comes back to how you listen. She knows something that in one of the skills in listening that I think is so powerful and, and the expression that I use is volumes are spoken in silence. Mm. Volumes are spoken in silence. Now it's radio, right? So you can't see her interviewing somebody. In fact, most of them that she does is remote, but she knows how to pause in one of my favorite clips from a life story that I did, and they taught us with Spielberg's organization, you can imagine interviewing Holocaust survivors, there's going to be tears, there's going to be emotion. So how do you handle the emotion? What do you do if they cry? So they have a process that I learned. If you don't pause, if you don't shut up, if you don't let that happen, you will miss some of the pearls that will come out of their feeling, of their heart, of their emotion. One of my first mentors, when I first started my podcast, I got a chance to sit next to Cal Fussman at, at dinner. He's, uh, I think he was like People Magazine, not People, um, I think it was Esquire. I don't remember which magazine, but he's done interviews with Michelle Gorbachev. He's done interviews wow. with Robert De Niro. I mean, like just really amazing human beings. And one of the first pieces of advice he gave was, Raj, let the silence do its magic. Mm-hmm. 
Because most people, when they're when they're interviewing, and they ask a question, and they hear the other person go silent, they start to talk and try and explain the question. They're like, because they think they did something wrong, but that silence is actually creating, like they're thinking, they're feeling, they're getting back into their bodies, and then the magic that ensues afterwards is that connection to the heart, those pearls of wisdom that are flowing from your heart space, your body, that visceral connection. It's like everything's just resonating because you're in the moment. Here's what Spielberg's organization taught us. Because one of the fears that people have about interviewing their own loved ones is there's going to be emotion. I don't know how to handle that. Here's what you do if they cry. Number one, be quiet. Don't say a word. It'll seem like it's lasting forever. It's not. But just shut up. Just don't say a word. The second rule is, I'm a hugger. I'm a, don't invade their personal space. Don't touch them. Don't get near them. Let it happen. As they're crying, as they're having the emotion, just let it happen. And number three, never, ever, ever say, I understand. Because you don't. If they're talking about an event that you were there at the same time, you still don't know what they're feeling at that time that they're telling you about it. So never say, I understand. The question then becomes, how do you know when you should speak next? In every case, in every case, they're going through their emotion, they're crying, they're doing whatever. When they're ready to keep going, they'll make eye contact with you. Until you see that eye contact, you shut up. You'd be quiet because between the time the emotion starts and when that eye contact starts, so you start again, they're going to say something that is golden. That was such powerful and profound wisdom. Thank you. And I, it works every time. Well, that's the beautiful thing. Like, you know, when you, you know, a lot of people ask me like, why well, I have the podcast podcast doesn't really, it's never made me money. <laughs> Right. Like it's something that's actually something I, I have teams and stuff that do the work because I feel like in some ways the act of becoming a listener has made me a better human being. Mm-hmm. It is the greatest training ground. And even that those pearls of wisdom that you just mentioned around what to do when you have a family member who is going through an emotional experience is one of the most valuable pieces of learning that anyone can have like that one nugget that you shared Mm -hmm. is going to make my relationships far more richer. And I, I'm really grateful for that. Like we're definitely not going to cut that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. You can include it. That's not getting cut. I've shared that with people and I've had, and, and understandably so had parents come to me that have small children. How can I possibly do that with my kid? They're upset. They're crying. How can I not, Just give them a hug. I don't say you shouldn't give them a hug, but you should wait and watch. Wait and watch. When they're ready for the hug, they'll make eye contact with you. But until that eye contact starts, you'll see. Just try it. Just and again, parents are are, are great at doing this if they just if they just try it. And that leads me to one more thing that I suggest all of your listeners do. Uh, When I give, and I give speeches on listening skills, there's a great TED Talk that was done in 2005 by Evelyn Glennie. That's E-V-E-L-Y-N and G-L-E-N-N-I-E. I'd never heard of Evelyn Glennie before. Have you? Nope. 
At one time, I think she was the chief percussionist for the London Symphony. Uh, she has a very heavy Irish accent. She comes out on this. The TED Talk starts with her coming on stage, and there's instruments around. And apparently Herbie Hancock had just given a talk, and she thanks Herbie Hancock. And she starts to talk about her talk, right? You see her take off her shoes, which is kind of weird. And I'll tell you, I'll spoil the surprise for you. Evelyn Glennie is a percussionist. She's deaf. She can't hear. She has a little bit of hearing. And she didn't learn how to play the percussion, a drum, until she was deaf, legally deaf. What? How can you? So the, the lesson from her talk is how to listen with your whole body. Mm. And I posted on Facebook two weeks ago. I was doing some work at a Panera Bread at a, at a restaurant. Sitting across from me was a table of 10 teenage girls. Every one of them deaf. Every one of them were signing. And I posted that I've just watched the 10 best listeners I've ever seen in my life. Mm. Because they were so zoned in to the body language, not just the signing, but they were so zoned into the body language of the person they were talking to. And they were laughing and they were crying and they were giggling and they were, you know, they were just having a conversation, right? I'm just fascinated by that. And I think your listeners will enjoy Evelyn Glennie's TED Talk. It's good. It's, it's 20 minutes long or 18 minutes long. But anyway, she plays, the, she plays the marimba, and she talks about the vibration of the mallet and how each note has a different vibration. You know, people think, what? That's, that's weird. And she also talks about how her first, and I'm going on and on, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're good. Keep going. <clears throat> she, I like you going on and on, Mike. <laughs> she talks about how her, um, her first teacher, she said, well, how are we going to do this? He, he sent her home with a drum and he said, give me your sticks. She says, how am I supposed to practice this drum without sticks? He says, you'll figure it out. She came back to the next lesson with her hands and her arms all bruised because she was with her elbows and with her hands to feel the vibration. And that's how she listened to the drums. That's how he started. He was brilliant, a brilliant teacher. And by the way, when I'm, uh, when I'm doing a life story, I always ask about teachers. What's, the, what's the, the question that I love asking is, what is the impact that a really great teacher can have on a student's life? It's always a great question, especially if they were teachers. But even if they weren't teachers, we've all had teachers in our lives. So what's the impact? And I would, if I was interviewing you, what's the impact that Jerry had on you? a great teacher, a mentor, you know? So anyway. On on the note of teachers, you know, I realized I actually learned more from Jerry's death than I did when he was alive. Why? Because when, so I used to be a petroleum engineer in my, in my previous life before I became an entrepreneur. And, you know, when I first started, I was just kind of side hustling, kind of teaching myself how to make money on the side, still going to work. And Jerry was someone who worked at the same office as me. He was a cubicle mate. He came in every day, same time, left at the same time every day. And I didn't know much about his life. I knew that he was getting close to retirement. I knew that he had a woodshed to house a bunch of woodworking projects that he was, you know, excited to jump into. But beyond that, I didn't really know much. And it wasn't until he passed. And in his passing, the week after he died, his wife came in 
who had just retired to clean out his cubicle and watching her learn things about him as she was cleaning out his cubicle and picking things up. And she was like, gosh, I didn't know Jerry was doing this. Like that was the most heart breaking, chilling moment of well, and it that I remember that being the biggest lesson in that I don't want to live a life where I have to I don't want to have to live a life where I work, 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 work for tomorrow and forgetting what I have today. And it changed everything for me. It changed the perspective that I was showing up in business. It changed the focus I was giving, it changed the gratitude I was willing to show up with. And you know, and it, it happened in his dying. If if he wouldn't have died, I don't think I would have gotten that lesson so soon. I may have gotten the lesson eventually because it's kind of how the universe works. But I think his his passing taught me more um, about how I wanted to live my life than anything I learned from him when he was alive. I've had the honor of interviewing many very, very wealthy people, a couple of billionaires, of all the people I've interviewed, one of the last questions I ask always with each one of them, because they've gone through their whole life, right? It's toward the end of the interview. I ask them, what's the most important thing in life? These are very wealthy people, some of them. Not once, not once have they said money, mm. possessions, yeah. stuff. So if that's not the most important thing in life, why do we stress and bust our ass and worry so much about it. And the best answer that I've ever heard is not from an interview that I did. It's from somebody on stage who told a story about a very successful journalist in New York who was dying. And he said, when it's all said and done, what matters most is who you love and who loves you. The rest is nonsense. Now, I don't know if the rest is nonsense, but what matters most is who you love and who loves you. And if you go into situations and into life with that, then you realize a Jerry story, what Jerry's widow found out. And you're doing something that so the widows of the people are, won't have to do. You're having people tell their stories. So the stories will come out. And that's a gift. So you're giving people a gift. Mm, I appreciate that. Thank you. and. And I, and I want to remind people that, you know, these moments are all around us if we pay attention. Mm -hmm. If we just listen. If we just listen, if we're just present. Yeah. And at least this has been true in my life. If I ignore the lesson, it usually comes back a little bit louder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe with a sledgehammer attached to it. <laughs> right. And eventually you will receive the lesson. And so there's a, there's a beauty of, there's a beauty when we can learn to listen enough to be able to learn from other people yep. and learn from other people's stories and really drop into the wisdom that exists all around us. No matter who you're talking to, whether there's somebody who has done a lot more than you in life or even people that have done nothing, there's always something to learn from everybody. And I think that's been one of the biggest lessons I've really taken into um, at least last several years is trusting that everybody's showing up into my life for a reason. And it's not my job to know why it's just my job to experience that reason fully, because nice. it's kind of one of those, like that there's a quote from Steve jobs, you know, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. And 
You know, so when you look back on your life, you can always say, oh, that one person who showed up into my life or that one conversation I had or that one song I listened to, or that one accident I got into or that one crappy experience that came. Like in the moment, you can't experience the wisdom of it. But when you look back on your life and you actually dot together and you make meaning, you create the story for yourself. You begin to see the hero's journey and you begin to see you Mm. becoming that hero and being that hero. And I think that's what allows us to have the feelings that we matter. It's when we're connected to our stories. And that's why I'm so inspired by your work. And, and I, and I, and I admire, and I, and I, and I'm so drawn and excited by your passion because there's, I think something as simple as, as reminding people that they have a story creates such a profound energetic difference in the world. Mm-hmm. And if everyone just believed that they had a story worth telling, the world would be such a beautiful right. and amazing place. So I'm just grateful that you're doing your work and I'm grateful that I get to experience this with you in this way. Thank you. Very kind of you to say, yeah, Steve Jobs, uh, Stanford university commencement speech is something that everybody should watch. I think that's where he said that quote. Yeah. That's, that's, that's where he, I was trying to figure out where he said it. I think that's where he said it. But I think I don't, I don't know. That, that's exactly where he said it. Yeah. I think that's where he said it. Now that I'm reminded of it, because side note, but when I first got started in entrepreneurship, I was positive, but I was in a very negative environment mm. with a lot of people who are, you know, working full time, who are very satisfied with their lives. And I wasn't very happy. Mm. So one of the ways I got out of it was I found these playlists online that would take these commencement speeches and put them on Rocky music or like gladiator music. And so oh, I'd listen wow. to these, like, so the Steve jobs, like commencement yeah. speech would be on gladiator music or like Batman music. And I would just feel it. So it's I'm glad you mentioned that it is a Stanford speech for everyone listening. If you want to go watch it, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, Mike, I talk to us about one, the work you're doing. So I think I, I would love, we've had such an amazing conversation and I'd be remiss if we didn't actually share what life story is or even any of the resources you might have at this moment in time that can allow others to experience more of your magic or even take some of your magic and apply it into their own lives. My business is called Life Stories Alive. Uh, the website is lifestoriesalive.com. The book that I wrote is called A Conversation You'll Never Forget, A Guide to Capturing a Life Story, and that's available on Amazon. I don't know where else to send your audience to to connect. The TED Talk that I gave that you referred to is just go to ted.com and type in my name, mm-hmm. and you'll find it. I, I guess that's it. This has been a joy. This has been a, a good day for me. Thank you. Mm, no, I'm I'm so grateful that we got to do this in person. Yes. <laughs> for everybody so, listening, I'll, I'll share this little story. You know, I walk into, I'm at Mike's front door, um, you know, right when we're supposed to start the interview and I get a call from Mike and he's like, he's confused as to how the interview is supposed to happen. <laughs> and I guess he forgot that I told him, Hey, I'd love to do this one in person if we could. And so I show up here, we open the door and Mike's wearing a wonderful dress shirt with like shorts because he thought he was going to be on the laptop looking <laughs> and, uh, on a zoom call. And uh, we had a chuckle about that before we got started, but no, I I've enjoyed this so much, Mike, and I appreciate uh, you. And I'm really excited about uh, our friendship and getting to know you more. And um, me too, Raj, I, I, I appreciate this. And I'll share another pearl of wisdom to you that relates to what you just said. 
memory is the second thing to go when you get old, like I am. I forgot what the first one was. <laughs> a little, little, little grandpa joke to close out the interview. Sorry. No, no, grandpa jokes are the best. Um, I have one last question for you. Sure. Um, Shoot. So, in the midst of everything you've experienced, um, everything you continue to create, and everywhere you're going, how do you stay grounded? How do I stay grounded? What do you mean by grounded? Well, I guess that's part of the question. To different people, grounded means different things. To me, being grounded means staying connected to my heart, my truth. What it's having my my feet firmly planted on the on the ground. It's it's this feeling of presence. Like what allows me to be present here now? My dad used to say. To answer your question, my dad used to say, never be a big shot. People don't like big shots. I think I stay grounded by realizing that if the most important thing is lie in life is who you love and who you who, who loves you, I stay grounded by realizing that my role is just to connect and have relationships. In business, as I mentioned before, I stay grounded and continue by going back to those life stories that and those two few clips that I love that connect me and realize where I'm going there. Yeah. But in life, I told you before we started this interview that I have two beautiful grandchildren, a granddaughter and a, and a younger grandson. Uh, she's four and a half and he's going to be two real soon. I think just watching them and listening to their giggle and that keeps me grounded. Mm. Where where we are in life, what is our purpose? And to make the world a better place for them. Oh, Mike, you are such a baller. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I really you. appreciate you as a human being, and I hope everyone listening will make all of the links that Mike mentioned We'll make those available in the show notes so you guys don't have to frantically write down anything. But everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your new friend, Mike. And from us, stay grounded. We'll chat soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.